Hi there, you're listening to episode 18 of the Jazz Violin Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Nicola Benedetti. Just a little... I'd also just like to mention that at the moment I'm looking at buying a new violin and I've been checking out the violin making skills of Gareth Ballard who's a he's a London-based uh, luthier and uh, re- uh, repairer and restorer of violins and his violins are absolutely amazing this one I've been trying it sounds great and it looks great as well um, yeah I just thought I'd give him a mention if you are in London and you're looking for someone to repair or um, restore your violin or you're looking for someone to make you a violin Gareth is amazing especially for his price just a little reminder that if you want to support the podcast you can do so on Patreon um, that's www.patreon.com forward slash jazz violin podcast uh, yeah if you want to help us out with some money uh, be my guest okay but today's guest is Nicola Benedetti, a classical violin superstar. Uh, I'm really excited to chat to her today. I know it's a little bit different because Nicola isn't a jazz violinist. Um, But the chat that we had was about her project uh, and her sort of uh, ongoing collaboration with Wynton Marsalis. Nicola's album with Wynton is out now on Decca Records. The album features both the violin concerto and the fiddle dance suites that Winton wrote, especially for Nicola, and it sounds amazing. We were sort of chatting about how she went about performing uh, the music of a jazz musician such as Winton. So we had a real, uh, it was quite a brief chat in uh, her hotel lobby. Yeah, but it was uh, it was great to chat to her. Um, I hope you enjoy. So thanks for thanks for doing it. You're so welcome. Thanks um, for being here. I guess it would be cool to start with just like how the collaboration with Winton came about. Uh, yeah, so I played in a concert at Jazz at Lincoln Center. It was kind of a concert. Right. Um, when I was about 17. Ah. Um, oh wow, so that far back. Yeah, a long, long time ago. And it was part of a thing called the Academy of Achievement Summit. So I was one of the student delegates. There was 300 of us, but only five musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like a weekend. Everybody had said to me, if you ever get the chance to do this weekend thing, you, mm-hmm. should, you should absolutely yeah. do it. Um, so I took part in it and it was the most incredible weekend of my life we like had private address from Bill Clinton we went to the UN we we um, heard a concert from BB King Mm -hmm. I played in the same like 
vicinity and in the same performance as Winton and his quintet and yeah. Kathleen Battle was singing um, it was like one after another just unbelievable yeah um, so anyway so Winton heard me play then I then subsequently went to many concerts of his over the years and one of them in particular was watching a performance of his piece that he wrote for Full Symphony Orchestra and and jazz band called Swing Symphony uh, yeah. and it's a work that's been now like toured all over the world um, and it was just like how has he created this vibe inside a classical concert hall yeah. that is still so complex and nuanced the piece is long it's substantive yeah. and sort of um, challenging yeah. but so uplifting and so like just um, just positivity exuding mm. from the stage and I was there with several like musicians and my manager and like people that I worked with as well and and we were all just like this is this is so unique cool. um, and I knew I had known for years that Winton loves the violin mm -hmm. so he he has like a mini obsession with the violin actually uh -huh, yeah. um, and so we just started about asking him if yeah. he would want to write um, a violin concerto he started off only wanting to write a solo violin piece okay. um, and then eventually we convinced him to write a concerto which is a huge undertaking you know it's yeah. like it's a lot of our work yeah. to write that type yeah. of thing um, scored for a huge symphony orchestra yeah. but um, we managed to get five different commissioning orchestras together uh -huh. and he set about writing the piece so it, like, it was a long it was a long process convincing him to do it and then Okay, right. And um, so that happened first in 2015. It was for it was for like one concert, right? Well, the, yeah, that was just a, that was the premiere, which was with London Symphony Orchestra in 2015. But mm -hmm. it was five orchestras that commissioned it. So over the next year and a bit, all those five orchestras then performed mm -hmm. it. And since then, I've also performed it like another 20 times because sure. people actually really love the yeah. piece. So <laughs> um, they want to program it, which is so exciting yeah. for a new work because quite often works are written, performed a couple of times and sure. not necessarily like, you know, rolled out like that. Yeah. So um, we're making the most of it. Yeah. Cool. It'd be cool to know about the collaborative process, the, yeah. the process of just sort of Writing Winston it. writing it yeah. and, and you performing it. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. So um, he was very, very open with each stage. So every time he would write a couple of pages, he would send me something. Okay. Um, and um, as the story goes, I've said it a thousand times, but it is actually true. I said that what he first sent me was too easy and that he needed to right. kind of make it more complicated. <laughs> and what I was trying to get him to understand was that. Um, like my strength lies in pieces, in learning pieces that I cannot sight read. Okay. So like all the big major romantic yeah. concertos, yeah. you you literally yeah, can't yeah. <laughs> read them. You have to spend hours yeah. working on them and yeah. like perfecting them and getting them better and better. So mm -hmm. that's where my experience lies. So I was like, you have to make this piece like that, something right. that I cannot just pick up and play. Oh, um, and so he certainly did that, especially the second movement parts of the first movement. Oh, loads of parts throughout the yeah. whole piece are um, very highly challenging like yeah. that. So. Um, he um, really took that to heart also like I mean I sent him probably 30 or 40 different scores of concertos for him to study okay. so like one thing you get to know about Winton is that no amount of work is too much work for right. him he will study mm -hmm. something until he gets it yeah 
And what was amazing in this whole process is between writing the violin concerto and then we came to write the, the, the fiddle dance suite, which was only last mm, February, yeah. um, the amount he had learned and absorbed about the actual instrument itself, the technicalities of the instrument, okay. um, was amazing. He basically didn't write anything for the fiddle dance suite that I couldn't... That, that I had to change because okay. it didn't work for the violin. Yeah. Whereas the violin concerto, there was lots of things. I was like, okay, you can't quite play those two notes together okay. and you have to do this and you have to do that. Um, he then, like he works like some composers did, like Prokofiev did that. He would mm. write stuff basically for the solo violin and then a piano accompaniment okay. and then orchestrate it out okay. from that. So um, Winton wrote the concerto in the same way. Right. Um, I mean, it wasn't like an actual piano part, but it lo it looked like um, a violin line, and then just two staves underneath that, okay. and then those two were basically like the chords, roughly sure. the rhythm things, like yeah. you know that type yeah. of stuff. Um, so then he orchestrated it out, and we did before the London Symphony Orchestra premiere that mm. summer. We actually did like a. Um, like a pre-performance tryout type mm -hmm. thing in a place called Chautauqua Institute in the States. Right. And um, that was really revelatory mm. for many reasons. Um, but one of the main ones was that he just hadn't quite believed how delicate the violin sound is. Right. And how masterful a composer has to be in giving the illusion that the violin, the solo violin, can actually carry above 80 instruments behind you, sure. including trumpets, trombones, four percussionists, yeah. a whole horn section. Yeah, like, yeah. like, So he wrote it for all of these instruments. And I had been saying all along, don't over-orchestrate because you won't be able to hear me. Sure. And then we got to that first experience, and lo and behold, <laughs> I was right. Right. Oh, right. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, so he had to rewrite a lot of the dynamics yeah. and and take out some of the orchestration and like. So that was a really interesting process yeah. for both of us to see how that actually works. Mm. I guess you could listening to it, you can tell that like he wanted to get some element of like groove in there, right? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I I guess I didn't notice, but maybe was there a lot of that happening when you were taking a break or playing something less involved? Um, some of the time, yeah, but that's actually, it's interesting you mentioned that because... Just because be louder is what I mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, one of his biggest challenges that he's always said writing for symphony orchestra without a jazz um, rhythm section, mm -hmm. so yeah. no drums, yeah. no bass, yeah. um, is to create that groove, mm. to create the motion, to create the excitement. Because yeah. obviously the majority of his experience is writing for yeah. those instruments. For guys, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And for people, yeah, who who it, they they read yeah. what he's written and yeah. it's like they decipher it immediately. Yeah. So it's almost like suddenly speaking another language yeah. but trying to express something similar. Yeah. And it so really yeah. Did work. Yeah. It sounded amazing. Oh, good. I'm glad you think amazing. so. Yeah. I, I, he, he, I mean, just so much thought and work went into mm. it to try to combine those things. Yeah. 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 Okay. So maybe it'd be cool if you could elaborate a little bit on like the moments when Winston had written something for the violin that you you had to say, I mean, look, this just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't work. work. Yeah. Well, most of those would be really obvious things. So... Um, when I say obvious, I mean like there was no two ways about it. It wasn't, sure, yeah, it wasn't yeah. debatable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so he would write, like, obviously, if you've written 
two notes that can only be played on the lowest string of the violin, sure, okay, yeah. and you've written them yeah. both, they <laughs> right. can't be played together. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, or, for example, like certain things that hand position just can't stretch mm-hmm. to. Um, well, mine couldn't anyway. Like, what? Well, I would, I would actually be curious to know if, like, some of the things he wrote were just impossible for me to play. Yeah. Whereas other, like, we all, all violins have different strengths sure. and different random ways that our, mm. our hands work yeah. and that our hands can kind of get around things. So, and um, that was also a luxury, you know, mm. to be able to say, look, this doesn't work for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which he was always you know he was quite amenable to but it was interesting because as much as I had my set of restrictions he also had his Mm. set of restrictions which were things like but this lower part of what you're playing will not make sense unless it resolves to that note sure so you have to include that note and I'm being like but I can't play that note (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it was like this kind of back and forth of yeah what about like the opposite? So, was there points when he saw, "Hey, this was this will you're probably not gonna be able to do this," but actually you were like, "Now nah, we can do this, fine." Um, yeah, sometimes, but less so. Less so. Yeah. Okay, it was that was less common. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so like, there's a lot of, in there that's like, like little bits that are just so not classical. Yeah. Bluesy stuff. And yeah. The, and the sort of the folky stuff. Yeah. And then I mean I don't know. Feel like uh, it's more the bluesy stuff and the folky stuff I'm yeah. talking about yeah. because the there's points in it where I I would hear like a, a solo passage from you yeah. that could be anything it could be modern classical yeah. and it could be yeah. it could be Coltrane yeah but it would be just interesting to hear like how you went about uh, trying to play that stuff trying to play the, the <laughs> stuff that's just not yeah the not that maybe isn't in your repertoire yeah so um, he as much as I gave him all of those concertos to study uh-huh. like the scores of yeah. he also gave me a lot of things to listen to yeah. and um, and actually I, I ended up even though I've been a fan of Winton's music for such a long time um, he's recorded so many albums and totally. he has written so much music that totally. I that I, I I kind of went on to a deeper level of actually getting to know his music yeah. Um, so I learned a lot about, and not just his music, but his playing. So I learned a lot about mm. how to try to bend notes and create certain colours and attack mm. certain things just through listening to, um, to, 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 to him right. and to also, you know, other jazz musicians that, mm-hmm. that like, for example, that there's a place in the first movement which. Um, is a very slow, very subtle blues Mm. that he kept saying to me, think of Miles Davis, think of Miles Davis. Because um, he wanted like a cold kind of sound. You know how Miles would always... um, I should say Miles. I was listening to Winton. He calls always calls him by his first name, but I'm not cool enough to do that. No, no, I can't. I can't get away with that. Miles Davis. You would have gone away with it if you just... If you just left, if I just kept going, but you, you <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. Miles <laughs> Davis um, would hold long notes with very little vibrato, yeah. so it wouldn't be like this overt expression. Mm, yeah, it's sure. kind of a coldness, yeah. but still like a depth right. to it. Yeah. So, like, I, I listened to a lot of him playing in that style okay. and tried to like see how I could kind of create that with the inst- with my instrument. Yeah. Um, so there were many. Yeah, just and also we learn through imitation sure. anyway. We that's everything we know is a form of yeah. imitation, and and we 
uh, so, so I, I, I wasn't ashamed to just listen cool. and practice copying. That's, yeah. And through practicing copying, it became my own voice. That's literally what jazz musicians do. Do, exactly. They just listen to exactly solos and, yeah. yeah, exactly. So you did that. Yeah. Right. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. So that was, yeah, outside of my comfort zone to, okay. to try to learn that way. You, you, you did, you're a Suzuki, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah. So I imagine that will have helped. Yes, it will have done. But I, I stopped Suzuki when I was nine. So okay. um, I am, but I'm not Suzuki, if you know what I mean. Um, okay. And also my teacher, she took certain elements of Suzuki and left out other elements mm. of it. But I did, no, I did do most of the books and stuff, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so um, what was, you know, what was, the, what was the big difference that you found? I think you've sort of already said this, but between the collaboration on the... Uh, concerto and the collaboration with the fiddle dance yeah um well the fiddle dance suite the whole process was way faster and mm -hmm. way more kind of straightforward in a way because you're not trying to piece together thousands of mm -hmm. different elements that come from a, a mass orchestra um so everything that was written was on that one page and was sent to me and I could instantly see the totality of what it was going to be. Okay. So there was not, it just wasn't the same complexity of process. Yeah. And for Winton, obviously, it was way less complicated. But he, yeah, sure. I mean, it's just so fascinating to see how he goes about these things. Like he determined that, that the fiddle dance suite was going to be a mix. It was going to be Afro-American and those music traditions mm -hmm. crossed absolutely in a technical way with the Celtic mm -hmm. traditions of fiddle playing. Yeah. So every movement literally is a fusion of the two. Mm -hmm. And um, to see how we went about doing that, you know, listening to hundreds of um, reels of jigs of Strathspeys, yeah. paying attention to all of their most mm. kind of fundamental building blocks yeah. like the how the rhythm works yeah. what kind of keys they go into how they build how they're structured yeah. what their phrase lengths are all of these things he just studied the hell out of all of that yeah. and then obviously he doesn't have to study his own music he knows that yeah, plenty yeah, sure. well so um, he just then like created this fusion yeah. and to me the best example of it is the Strathspey which is a blues Strathspey, which I think is the, I know exactly yeah, the I yeah. So it's a kind of unusual sort of rhythmic um, dance that he just managed to create into this kind of amazing blues yeah. thing. Like I, I don't know. Yeah, that just which to me that worked so well. But it is one of those movements that I think you do have to listen to a few times to really get to know. So I, think the, I was just I listened to. I think it's the one I, that struck me last night. It's, there's like a point where it feels like there's two parts. Yeah. And. You'll be playing a Strathspe on the lower part of the violin, yeah. and then suddenly there'll be this like bluesy stuff on the top. Yeah, and then that's very well sound like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Might be, might yeah. Be that one. yeah, yeah. That's right there. Yeah, cool. So the um, there were points that, especially right at the beginning of the rhapsody, that felt like they might be semi-improvised. Good. Is that true? No, but ah, I'm, okay. but I'm sounding 
I'm trying to sound like I am improvising. Okay, that's so amazing. So there's a lot of things that he wrote that are kind of like a theme is going on elsewhere, and my part is filigree or fairy dust. It's like yeah, exactly. doing all these sort yeah. of little things around it, and so I'm trying to like play in a way like because you can you can create sound that is as if you're not sure where you're going. Mm -hmm. Or you can create sound that's extremely solid. Yeah. And like, this is what mm -hmm. I'm playing, and then this, and then this. So I like, I, I think my playing is like very, it's very not all one way. Yeah. So um, I'm a little bit of a chameleon. Like I try to really absolutely go into the style yeah. of the blues are absolutely into the style of Vivaldi Baroque mm -hmm. or of like big romantic thick sounds. So I don't, I mean, there's obviously an element to my playing that's hopefully distinctively mine, but sure. I really try to embody all of those different mm -hmm. um, expressions as fully as possible. So there's many places in the Rhapsody definitely and in the blues, so in the third movement of the concerto, where I, um, they play a little kind of a, an offering to me. It's yeah. like a little bit of a chorale or something. And then I respond yeah. with something that should be like, I'm just deciding on the spur of the moment to respond sure. to them in yeah. this very authentic way. And although it is all written yeah. and none of it I'm making up, yeah, yeah. I'm making a sound yeah. that should give you the impression yeah. like I'm making it up. Yeah, well, so I'm happy if you thought no, that really, is what I'm trying really to say. Did. Yeah, it really did. I mean, I sort of knew that... It was written. Yeah, yeah. Is that Well, not knowing, but I, I you thought... You assumed it, ass yeah. ass Assumption, yeah. Yeah. But it did sound, especially that first bit with that Rhapsody. Yeah. It just sounded really Coltranian. Yeah. You know, it's really nice. So, did you check out any violinists, like jazz violinists or blues violinists? Or yes, I did. Process? I did listen to a few... But that wasn't actually... I, I think I'm so often trying not to sound like a violin yeah, yeah, <laughs> that that wasn't actually a priority for yeah. me. So I was listening to more the more kind of standard idiomatic, jazz, like jazz. jazz. Yeah, exactly. You sound like a jazz violinist. That's exactly what all jazz violinists do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Probably tried to sound yeah. like trumpets yeah. or singers yeah, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're always trying to like, like pretend to not be us. I know. <laughs> Like, oh, just we do, we do love our instrument, really. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, just, it's certainly in jazz, there's always this thing of like, you know, I'm just like a sax player. And I really? Yeah, is that yeah, a yeah. thing? Okay, yeah, yeah. well, then I'm just playing into uh, the norm. No, well, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of it. And it's because, it is literally because history of jazz, there's not much violin. No. It's too quiet. No. What's the guy, what, there was a guy in... Duke Ellington's band that played a oh, Rain Ants. Rain Ants, yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah, he's, he did. Yeah. But then you like you can sort of hardly what, hear him. I know it's like and once like, or twice. Ah, yeah, he because he's of trying his hardest to, yeah. to get out. He's yeah. he's, he's an amazing player. Though. Yeah, I think I, I think you got better recordings of him this time around. Yeah, but um, yeah, just it, yeah, it was just I was just interested to know if you had um, if you had if you had checked out much in terms of like jazz violinists but I guess if you're trying to if you're trying to yeah look at Winton's music you're yeah. going to have to look at the music no. that he bases his yeah not, not, not all that much maybe I should have listened to more I did listen to some he no, gave me some you suggestions yeah. <laughs> thank you you did great thank Don't, you you definitely didn't have to do that um, yeah so would you ever would you ever consider trying trying to play jazz 
Like, Probably not. You wouldn't I'm too know. terrified. Yeah. Oh, really? I think I would be too bad at it. No way. I'm not a free enough spirit. No way. No way, that's not true. <laughs> no, well, maybe one day, I don't know. If I have a sabbatical, I'll go and study. Yeah. Which is interesting, you know, like, I suppose there's Jean-Luc Ponty, who's like one of the, ah, it's like a living legend of yeah. jazz violin. He said when he, because he, he, he went to quite a prestigious Paris conservatory. Yeah. And then he started getting into jazz. And he had to like hide that from his. Uh, I'm sure it's yeah. like a yeah, a a bit thing? of a discrimination. Like, would that still be a thing? No, right? I think it's very, it's massive. Well, oh, no, like if you were studying at one of the colleges, I'm sure many teachers would discourage yeah. you, 100% right. from doing anything other than the classical, a standard kind of classical study. Right. Um, so yeah, you could you could come across some tension with your professor. Okay. Um, but in the in the wider world, people generally are much more like, into yeah. that kind of crossover of yeah. genres. Yeah, really. I think it, yeah, I think I was talking to you know Chris Garrick. He he does workshops at the Royal Academy now. Yeah, so, yeah, that's true. Exactly. No, I, I think guess, it's becoming much more open. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's that's everything. Great. That Thanks was a lot. that was lots of detail. I thought. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for great. having me. Yeah. Thank you so much. Nice to chat with you. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Violin Podcast. You've been listening to me, Matt Holborn, and Nicola Benedetti. Hope you enjoyed that short but interesting interview. Um, we'll be back next month, uh, and I don't know who is, but uh, the mystery is sometimes the most exciting part. Anyway, uh, please like and subscribe on iTunes. Is it, on, is it even is, does iTunes exist anymore? I think it's Apple Apple Podcasts. Whatever, just just uh, keep listening. And uh, you can find us on Instagram, by the way. I don't know if I've ever even said that, but we've got an Instagram account now. So if you, uh, if you want to look at pictures of stuff, you can uh, find us there. Also on Patreon, blah, blah, blah. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, check out Nicola's album, which is out now on Decca Records. Uh, I've got a copy, and it's really, really cool. I'm going to leave you with this track from Julian Ferrato from Australia. Thanks very much for listening. Bye.
Oh, 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 oh,